something truly magic is happening here. And yes, we're in this bear market phase of it all, but there is total magic going on. And that just gave me another shot in the arm to think, you know what? What comes out of this is going to be massive. Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. Guys, this is part two of our conversation with Raul Paul, and the tables have turned. This time, Raul is interviewing David and myself. So we wanted to publish this on the Bankless podcast as well. I hope there are some good takes in here for you. Um, this is really an opportunity to talk a little bit about the founding of Bankless, our early theses, where we got our start, how we met. Uh, we're not usually interviewed, and I don't mm-hmm. think neither David or myself are in a place to kind of ask each other questions as well as a third party would ask us. So right. that's what you're in for today. David, do you have any reflections on this episode? Yeah, yeah, like you said, like we don't, I always enjoy being on the other side of the microphone. The times that you and I both have been on the other side of the micro- microphone are very few and far between and nothing of this caliber of like Raul Paul. Uh, I've, I'm pretty sure the Bankless Nation will thoroughly enjoy us being interviewed rather than doing the interviewer, interviewing. Uh, so yeah, like Ryan said, like the early days of Bankless or and Genesis of Bankless, like maybe you came into Bankless during 2021 or later and missed mine and Ryan's trajectory up to the genesis of Bankless and then also the early years of Bankless. Like this will probably provide you a lot of context and probably illustrate how we got to be the way that we are uh, and why we say the things that we say. Uh, so I think this episode is going to be pretty fun for a lot of people. It was also uh, an episode, very, very rare episode, where we were oh, yeah. recording in person, like <laughs> yeah. literally sitting beside each other. So um, there's that dynamic. Never as well. would have thought possible. I know. Can you believe it? Uh, so, guys, that's the episode today with Raul Paul talking to, I guess, David. You and I are guests today. Yeah, we're so the en- guests. Enjoy this one. But first, a moment to tell you about the fantastic sponsors that made this possible, including our number one recommended crypto exchange and tool for going bankless. Kraken. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, Join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. Enter Mantle, an entire ecosystem dedicated to the adoption of decentralized token-governed technologies. Mantle, formerly known as BitDAO, is the first DAO-led Web3 ecosystem, all built on top of Mantle's first core product, the Mantle Network, a brand new high-performance Ethereum Layer 2 built differently from the other Layer 2s that you may be familiar with. Mantle asks the question, how would you build a Layer 2 if you had the technology of 2023? Mantle Network is a modular Layer 2 built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle Network's gas fees by 80% compared to other Layer 2s, but it also reduces gas fee volatility, providing a more stable foundation for Mantle's applications. The Mantle Treasury is one of the biggest DAO-owned treasuries in DeFi, which is seeding an ecosystem of projects from all around the Web3 space for Mantle. 
Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded to help the growth of Mantle, like Game7 for Web3 Gaming, or EduDAO for in the world of DeSci, and Bybit for TBL and liquidity and on-ramps. So if you want to build on the Mantle network, Mantle is offering a grants program that provides milestone-based funding to promising projects that help expand, secure, and decentralize Mantle. If you want to get started working with the first DAO-led Layer 2 ecosystem, check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. Are you planning to launch a token? Is your token already live? And are you granting your employees and contractors vesting token awards? And are you trying to figure out how to take care of taxable events for your team? Toku makes implementing a global token incentive award simple. With Toku, you will get unmatched legal and tax support to grant and administer your global team's tokens. Toku will help you navigate across the life cycle of your token, from easy-to-use pre-launch token grant award templates to managing post-cliff taxable events with payroll. For legal, finance, and HR teams, it's a huge complex task to have to comply with labor laws, payroll, and tax obligations, tax reporting, and crypto regulations in every country that you employ someone. It's difficult, time-consuming, manual, and costly, and it's drawing more attention from global regulators and governments. Toku makes it simple for leading companies in the space, Protocol Labs, Hedera, Gitcoin, and many more, to manage their token complexities. So, if you are interested in signing up with Toku, check out toku.com slash bankless, or click the link in the description below. So, double trouble today. <laughs> David and Ryan, great to see you. It's good to be on this side of the of the table, and that should be a bit of fun. Not yeah. only are we infrequently on the other side of the microphone, but we are even more infrequently actually together in person. So this is unique. Yeah, this is uh, just just happenstance. And uh, David, you just you just put on your Wells Bankless uh, T-shirt. I, I noticed. I see there. Yeah, we we nice. got the uh, Bankless America as well. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So as ever, um, I always like to start with people's journey into the space because everybody comes in different ways. There's a different hook that brings you on and then your understanding grows from there. So I don't know, David, do we want to start with you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I got hooked. I'm a class of 2017 crypto graduate. Uh, so came in, bought the top of 2017, as one does. Net worth went to zero in 2018 and again in 2019. Um, but I was immediately compelled uh, by what just, were you doing beforehand? How did you get into this? Uh, my first job out of school was in social work. Um, after that, I was going trying to figure out my way into the world of health sciences. Um, the the through line between that and crypto was that I was in search of trying to find the way to improve people's lives uh, for the biggest in the biggest bang for your buck. So, like, how do you do these smallest things that produce the largest net outcomes in people's just well being? Um, my major was uh, psychology with a focus on positive psychology. And the TLDR of that is just like, hey, psychology as, a, as an academic study is all about uh, improving sick people to be normal. But what if you apply psychological principles to, to normal people to just make them feel stronger, more self-actualized, just better? Um, and so in pursuit of that, I was like, okay, that's great. But in order to make people feel more psychologically sound, you need to also improve their fitness, right? Like you can't be psychologically sound without like exercise. And then once you do those two things, you might as well round it all out with nutrition. And so these, there's just a bunch of low hanging fruit to make the average individual feel a lot better. Um, so on my search for how to find a private practice role in that, uh, I discover Ethereum because of 2017 and my mind gets opened up to the world of money and finance as an economic substrate for all humans. And so like understanding, like, how do I, how do we improve everyone's lives very simply and very easily? 
well, money and finance goes down to the root of all things. So like very far from psychology, but the, the through line of just like, how do we improve the most people's lives in the easiest, most systemic way possible? As soon as I kind of, you know, had the aha moment of like money and finance is at the root of all things. And Ethereum is a new platform for producing that. I was just immediately compelled and there was no going back. I think David is one of the the only people I've ever heard who came through to crypto through route of psychology <laughs> and nutrition. Actually, my, my wife's a, a behavioral psychologist. Really, she just thinks my NFTs are just ridiculous. <laughs> but does she <laughs> understand them? No, she, and I've tried. She's just like, this is ridiculous. There, there, there's no psychological uh, thesis behind why humans collect these sorts of digital there objects. Is, but she just doesn't want to accept it. She has <laughs> not too much of that deal. science brain. She's like, no, this is stupid. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, full credit to David, too. I think one of the things that I've observed, because I've got to see him since 2017, we probably started working together more in 2019 and, and then beyond uh, to start Bankless. But this guy has taught himself everything. And he's gotten up to speed, you know, just so quickly. And uh, to not like know, I don't know, how much did you know about finance? Zero. How many crypto? Zero. Like, how much did you Zero know about money? Classes. I, a lot of my friends in college took business, so like went through business school. Yeah. This take, is the I antithesis of what you were doing, right? It's yeah. like the money was root of all evil yeah, when yeah. you go through kind of sociology, psychology. It's like, yeah, yeah. I wore, I wore a CCCP shirt in middle school for sure. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, so, but this. I, I don't know if you've observed this, Raul, but but sometimes the most um, tradfi, deepest uh, economists, people who have gone to graduate school and pursue their PhD, they miss this crypto thing yeah. for some reason. It's because I think they learn bad habits. Right. And so you almost have to enter crypto as a child. A blank slate. Yeah. Right. And like and like kind of go back to the basics mm -hmm. of let's let's build out from um, base principles, what this money thing actually is, and then work from there. And that's what I've observed David doing in this space. I, mean, I, I, I've, um, I was going to mention when we were speaking to um, yesterday, but I've now on my screen got the bell curve of the mid-twit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was speaking to Meltem about this, that we both realized that it's the single most important thing is never be in the middle. Mm -hmm. And yes. that's why most of these guys, like you saw Taleb yesterday on CNBC, right? He's squarely being the mid-twit. And it's the sim mm -hmm. simplicity of the idea is what can drive much better mm -hmm. results, I think. Yeah, I, I tease all of my business school friends that, that uh, you know, I was the one psych friend amongst the business school people, but I was the one that discovered crypto well ahead of the curve and did well for myself, well well uh, at an accelerated pace in comparison to cool. them. How do they respond to that teasing, David? I, did, well, did I enjoy that? Like, hey, like, you, you guys <laughs> you had to unlearn all of this stuff in order to understand crypto. It's yeah. about like the unlearning that I never had to do. I never had to unlearn <laughs> anything because I never taught. No, because you could come taught. in as a total moron. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, right. And and then move to Jedi Master over time, right? Does that Much mean easier. You're, are, are you on the left side of the mid-twit then, David? Or are you on the right side? I, I don't I know what I am both, yet. but I'm definitely not in the middle. <laughs> That's all right, as long as you're not in the middle. <laughs> so, Ryan, what's your story? How did you get into all of this? Uh, um, not really? by way of nutrition, not by way of psychology. <laughs> I actually did the uh, the business school kind of thing, right? And uh, so somehow I unlearned the lessons of uh, Keynesian economics and everything they kind of teach you in business school. But I, I would say I kind of came at this through the, um, you know, uh, technophile a startup entrepreneurship kind of thing. I, I remember um, sold a, a healthcare tech company in 2014, and um, the co-founder, the guy I was working with, 
said something to me in passing. He's like, have you heard about Bitcoin? Because I have set up a bunch of Bitcoin mining machines in my in my uh, garage. And this was 2014, right? Uh, of course, that was never profitable uh, for him, unfortunately. But I was like, what? Like what? the idea of mining using machines, using C- using computers, the idea was so foreign that um, I uh, I had a, a holiday, like a kind of a Thanksgiving holiday in the US where I had some time and I just went deep down the crypto Bitcoin at the time rabbit hole in 2014. Spent the entire weekend, you know, didn't spend as much time with my family as I probably should have. But I was just uh, everything Andreas Antonopoulos had written or said on the subject. I absorbed that. I, you know, read everything I could on the subject. And by Monday, uh, at the end of that weekend, I was ready literally to kind of quit my job. He was a crypto person. I, I opened up five exchange accounts, had no idea what I was doing. And these were some shady exchanges at the time, let me tell you. Um, and uh, I was just you know, starting to invest. Starting, I wanted to go all in. Um, after that, I, I almost think of that as a sort of a manic type of weekend for me. Uh, cause after that I kind of woke up and, you know, on Monday and I was like, okay, back to, back to work, back to what I am uh, doing. And, um, the idea, you know, crypto kind of left me until Ethereum really entered 2016. And now there's the idea if, if Bitcoin was money over IP, which was so incredibly important money over the internet, digital money as a bare instrument, that idea is so powerful. Now the ability to program it, this ability of smart contracts to actually build a, didn't use this phrase at the time, but a bankless money system, that totally gripped me and totally captured me. And this was in 2016, 2017, still had no idea what I was doing in the space. And actually I wanted to start a crypto fund so, you know, you, your assets appreciate a little bit and you, you rode Bitcoin up, you rode uh, Ether up uh, from some lows and you're like, I'm an investor now. I can genius, do this. I am brilliant. So uh, let me manage other people's money. Uh, and Did I, you ever put blockchain expert on your LinkedIn? No, I, I'm not that cringe, David. All right. I'm kind of, I kind of cringe. But, but so um, I didn't do that because I went down the path in 2017 and I realized, um, one, there was so much I still needed to learn. Like I didn't have an underlying thesis of where value would accrue in the space. And so I had no business managing someone else's money. Uh, like absolutely none. And I'm pleased you realized that. I, one, I think a lot of people didn't in 2017 because that was the time of like crypto hedge funds and everyone was, was kind of launching one. Um, and, you know, another reason I think a, a, a story arc of, of my life and my narrative has been this pursuit of, um, of freedom and, and kind of autonomy, right? And I saw in crypto a, a technology that would deliver that not just to myself, but, but to society, to self-sovereign money, this concept of once you own private keys, no one can take that away from you, right? It's n- decentralization really kind of captured me almost like uh, spiritually as well, if, if, if that's a way of, of kind of capturing it. And so I knew if I took other people's money at that time, I didn't know it, that would be a, a shackle as well. And I was here for freedom. I was here for kind of, you know, um, everything that that entailed. So I didn't do it at the time. I'm very thankful. And I spent the next few years really trying to understand and develop uh, my thesis for this space. And it turns out David was doing that at the same time. We kind of met and converged in this when path. When was that, 2017 or later? 2019. So let's, um, before we get to 2019, Yeah, I just want to hear the genius to idiot phase 
of suddenly the space collapses. It's the first time oh, wow. you've fully gone through it. I want to hear your mindset because a lot of people are going through that now, right? And I've, I, I, I was a class of 2012, so I've gone through a few times, <laughs> but um, it's never fun, but you get kind of get used to it. So why don't you Ryan, tell you yours? With your oh, first yeah, yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell mine. I'll tell mine. Okay. So, um, you know, you, you watch the, the price of a Bitcoin appreciate to, you know, above 20 K, right. When you'd purchase much, uh, much lower than that, obviously. And then you watch the price of ether appreciate, uh, you know, to 1420. Is that a number you remember, David? Yeah. 1420. It just hit that very briefly, but like, that was it, right. That, that was the top. And then you watch it fall over the preceding months, right? And fast. And fast. Okay. So, you know, down, down to 800. Okay. You can hang with that. It's just a dip, right? It'll, it'll pass down, down, just like a massive FUD at this time. You know, Ethereum's only kind of a. a you Had know, you marked a, your net worth in your head, the, the classic. Don't the you? Classic Everyone mistake. does. Yeah, don't you? I, I mean, and, and you're I, kind I don't of. Now, but I, I used to. And and that's when you think you're sort of a genius, and uh, you do things like one one mistake I I certainly made on the way up is um, discovered this really cool you know DeFi protocol called MakerDAO and opened up a you know a nice CDP right, well. of course right and uh, I'm protected because ETH ETH can't go below 100. ETH, it's, it's great. Collateral. It can't go below 100, can it? Uh, of course not. That would be impossible. It hit you know 1420. We're in a new paradigm. And then what happened over the the months and 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 even years to come is this massive amount of fud, uh, this kind of dark period where well maybe it was all a bubble, just ICOs and they have uh, ETH on in their treasury. Did you sell anything selling. or did you just ride the whole thing? I rode the entire thing. Good boy. And you know what though, it was not easy. It's not easy to do that, and and particularly. Um, I spent all of my waking hours trying to figure out if I was crazy or not. And I don't know if, if people can identify uh, that right now, if they're kind of first cyclers, if they're just sort of wondering, am I the crazy one? Because that's what the world tells you. And not only that, Raul, in, in, in crypto in 2018, that's what the Bitcoiners would say, Bitcoin maximalists would say. It was is, crypto too. It, yes. It's not only like the outside world is saying crypto is dead, but inside of crypto, Ethereum is dead. Ethereum is dead. There's no, like, DeFi wasn't a thing. It's just ICOs flash in the pan. And so what I spent um, that year doing was trying to figure out if I was crazy or not. And um, in 20, I didn't sell during this time until I had some con- kind of conclusion of whether I was crazy. And, and why sell when you're down bad, you know, that much anyway? And uh, so 2019... Good risk management. This is why you shouldn't be a hedge fund. <laughs> exactly. Saying. So 2019, I, I realized that, you know what? Uh, I don't think I'm crazy. I think everybody else is wrong. All right. Like I've spent enough time looking at this technology, like doing the pattern uh, matching thing. And everyone is missing DeFi. Everyone is missing what's going on in Ethereum. This is actually bigger in impact than just simple money over IP. This is an opportunity for a bankless money system. And then I started to find others that thought the same way. Um, David was one of those, but I want to hear David's story. Yeah. What's, what's, yeah, what's your 2017 hero story, to David? zero? We need to hear it. <laughs> you know, thankfully I didn't have too much capital going into 2017. <laughs> and so like my high watermark, even though like re- relatively was super high for me, like going back down to zero after that, it was like, well, okay, here I was, I'm familiar with this. Like, so let me tell you, social work does not pay, pay quite a lot. And especially as you're a student, you're already faced with that. 
Uh, and so like for me, going into crypto is like, hey, either I go to four plus years of grad school in debt or I go into crypto and no debt. And so like that that threshold was already already nice. Um, so yeah, so did the whole thing, just like Ryan said, went up to 1420, thought I was a genius, it was a bull market, uh, tokens were doing crazy things, got my, got my first like taste of what capital markets and crazy capital markets can do. Uh, then that's psychology 101, right? <laughs> yes, 100%. Like, definitely learning that herd, herd mentality and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, and then, so, like, yeah, 20, 2018 came. I got a, my first job in the space being like a blog writer community manager for an ICO advisory company, which retroactively, retrospectively, I'm like, okay, that's a shitcoin peddling company, but you don't really think about that at the time. Uh, then got a job at a security token company because all the ICOs rotated into security tokens. And then uh, got a job at a tokenized real estate startup. Uh, and so I was going from just like, I was just like holding on by my fingernails, like job to job to job, getting through the bear market. And meanwhile, I learned that I can speak pretty well. Uh, and so I started my first podcast, POV Crypto, with a Bitcoiner co-host. And so I was the Ethereum, had a Bitcoiner co-host. Uh, and we were kind of like this bear market darling podcast. I, th- I think that's probably where Ryan heard I loved me. it. Yeah. I enjoy, I listen to this every time you guys publish an episode, I would listen to this. Yeah. And, and I'd be cheering you on, David. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> it was funny because like all the Bitcoiners that listened to it for, because of my co host were like, man, I really like POV crypto, but your, your host, is David, a is a complete an idiot. moron. <laughs> and then all my friends would tell me the same thing. It's like, man, I really like POV crypto, but your Bitcoiner co host yeah. is an idiot. Yeah. And so we were like, yeah, like this is my college friend. We, we like each other. It's great. Uh, so that, that's where I learned. That's when we learned to like be open and share ideas. And so even though we were like fiercely debating with each other, we we were friends. And so it was with love. And it was also like honest and integral and like trying to get down to the to the basement of things. And so that was my foundation. And so like while tr- like trying to hold my grip on to actually having a job throughout the bear market, I was also doing the whole side gig because like my, my first job, the company blew up and I was laid off. And so I was like, okay, I never, like with Ryan's freedom things, like I never want to have that be outside of my control ever again. Mm. I want to work for myself. No one's ever going to lay me off ever again. Uh, and so I started to make a podcast just like that. That's mine. And, and like learn how to make a podcast into a business. Uh, and so that was like my bear market like endeavor. Uh, can, can I ask you a question sure. though, David? So um, a lot of people left during that time. Mm. I stayed mm-hmm. just to figure out if I was crazy or not. Mm-hmm. Why did you stay? I, my conviction about crypto just did not waver in the slightest. Like it wasn't even a question to me. It's just like I didn't get why people didn't get it. And I was the, anno- the annoying one of my friends. It was like, guys, like this is, this is real. And they were like, uh, we're going to the baseball game. Like, uh, whatever. What do you think you saw that they didn't? Like, what was it? I don't know. Uh, I always I grew up with a computer in my room, so I was always like tinkering with computer stuff and internet things, and so I understood that like that was more familiar to me. I also got in via mining myself, so I was mining Ethereum. Yeah, uh, in my father's ba- uh, bathroom. Uh, <laughs> uh, how, how many rigs did you have? I had four rigs. Why? Why in the bathroom, GPUs. dude? You know, electricity, water, not the best of mixes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was well aware. Um, <laughs> sticking with the moron thing. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. uh, it worked out. Yeah, like the, the the rigs actually are still gathering dust. I turned them off years ago, but I still have them. Um, why? Why did I have such conviction? Yeah. Uh, I there was just some things like from first principles things of like scarcity on the internet, like. Why, why wouldn't you have conviction about that? Like Bitcoin never broke. Ethereum never broke. The things, maybe people lost faith in them, but the systems worked. Yeah. 
And I was so, like, ICOs are still great. Right. Yeah. They're still a thing. I, like, I don't know. It's like it's people say, like, why, why did you have conviction throughout the 2018 to 2020 bear market? Like, I don't know. Why didn't you have conviction? Like, what, what, yeah, why'd you yeah, leave? Yeah, why'd you price leave? Is, price is not – people have to learn, and you guys obviously learned it, was that price is not an indicator right. of the overall value of the network over time. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just where it is that day, you know, mm-hmm. and that's psychology and that's network activity and other stuff. But overall, you know, you just look at it. I've always just looked at the lows and realized they're always higher. I mean, right. yeah. yes, I think and if that's the value of the network. Therefore, the network is more valuable each time you go through a cycle. I mean, that's all right. you need to know, really. Yeah. For me, I think there's a definitely a very strong personal element uh, as to like why I stuck around. Um, I was right. I was learning to write. And in my opinion, I was learning to write very well. As like, not only was I writing what I thought was like pretty on point theses, but I was also going back and editing the piece so that I knew people would effing read it, right? (laughs) And so I would write a 3,000 word long piece and I would trim it down to 2,000 words and then I would trim it down to 1,500 words. And then I would read it, it's like, man, this is a really good piece of article. So it was, for me, it was like a part of like creativity and expression. Yeah. And that kept me going because I I was tuning my own brain at the same time. So like not only is like we can talk about all the fundamentals of crypto and why it's here to stay and like why I had conviction, but also I learned personally to like self-actualize and improve myself and become a better person because of what I had to do to get through the bear market without losing my sanity. You developed Which a talent. Kind of yeah. What Ryan was doing with trying to figure out is he insane or not? Right. It's the same thing. It's that and that's it's at that moment that you really make the breakthroughs. Mm. It's mm-hmm. that it's in the dark days and you're like, you know what? I've done my thousand hours and I'm building on that. Right. And I'm more sure than ever. Mm-hmm. It's that moment. It's a really magic moment uh, in this whole crypto space. And once right. you get that, you know, you're never going to leave. It is. Yeah. And you know what gave me the most confidence? And I think the reason um, I concluded that a big part of the reason I concluded I wasn't crazy during that time was I was spending the thousand hours actually right. using these protocols and using these tools. And I was looking around me at all of the, the critics uh, and all of the, the naysayers, all of the people saying crypto was dead and realizing that they weren't, they had never opened a collateralized debt position in MakerDAO and right. seen in a few clicks what you can do without any trusted intermediary. I was, I was refinancing my house at the time and the, the amount of documentation I had to sign to get a collateralized loan and I was able to do this on chain in Maker using ETH as my collateral. And in a few clicks, as clunky as that interface was, make it happen, get a collateralized loan. That to me was magic. 2019, Uniswap coming aboard. The ability to um, swap assets without a centralized intermediary, that was all new. And so it was putting in the work to actually use these protocols. And it just it showed me how hollow the critics' arguments uh, were because they weren't actually doing this stuff. They weren't spending the time using the the, the protocols, even even kind of the the notable uh, VCs. This is why I, what I don't know what you believe about like the efficient market uh, hypothesis and this idea that everything is always priced in. I'm like that's complete dog shit. Right. Like that do, that is not my experience of the world. Like I think the rewards go to the people who stick around and and research and put in the hours and put in the work. And so, like, one message I would say is um, you're never going to make it through this bear market if you're lazy, right? Like, you have to put in the work to actually um, 
use the tools and develop your thinking based on first principles, not relying on a YouTuber, TikToker, or someone on Twitter to tell you what to think. And that is the, the, the meta skill I think all good investors uh, eventually learn. It's something that uh, I certainly learned during the last bear market. Tell me the story of Bankless, because you know you guys have, you really do produce some of the best quality content out there. It's very thoughtful. Um, what was the, tell me the story. How the hell did you two get together? Well, I saw in 2019, I saw this um, this guy writing all sorts of fantastic articles that I started reading. Um, one of them, a notable piece, was on uh, MakerDAO and sort of explaining how that works to the layman. And I, I think, David, you and I started a, a DM conversation at the right. time. And I, was, I had started a newsletter called Bankless in 2019. And the idea of this newsletter was, was very simple. It's... Um, to expose more people to DeFi tools and to help the world go bankless. We can all go on the bankless journey. And it starts by getting more of your net worth out of banked money systems, fiat in your bank account, your Wells Fargo account, and more into um, crypto systems. And to the point where you stop using banks, right? Um, and I can say over time, I have a much larger percent of my net worth that's bankless. Uh, over time, that that has happened to me, and more of my transactions are on chain than are in kind of the the bank money system, and so it's it's a, it's a journey. Anyway, I wanted to build a community and provide an information resource for people who are going on the journey, on the bankless journey. And so met David, and I was like, I have to work with this guy. He's a fantastic writer. I want this person to write for Bankless because it was very hard at the time to publish you know, three to five articles per week, just myself solo and keep up with the space as well. And so I needed some help with that. And that's uh, where we started. He was just kind of a, a contract writer on Bankless. And then uh, over time it evolved and he's like, hey, Ryan, we should start a podcast. Hey, hey Ryan, hey, we should, we should, start, a we should start a podcast. And he kept saying this over and over. And I was like, David, we're not gonna have enough to actually talk about, okay? like. <laughs> Yeah, maybe five episodes worth. It's not going to yeah, be and a you've thing. You both got faces for radio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I told him, uh, especially me. And and uh, so, but but he he. I don't know. I don't know how you did it, man. But like, um, it took me a while to convince Ryan that podcast a podcast was a good idea. Yeah, I had been a podcast consumer, but didn't think that um, I at least had the skills yeah. to mm -hmm. to to produce. And then we just hit record one day. Somehow you convinced me. We hit record, and that was episode one. I think in. Um, May, uh, sorry, March 2020, um, right? Was it before or right after COVID okay. hit? Episode number two was the day of the COVID dump. There yeah. you go. And so wow. that's where we started. And then um, we just kind of grew it from there. And of course, uh, this is, uh, this, over the last couple of days is only the second time Dave yeah. and I have met in person. This is true. Um, no way. Yeah. So yeah. we had, we developed this entire thing through COVID. Uh, and um, met for the first time last year. Actually, it was, it was over two years of working together before we met. For the first time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we had like a ten-plus person company at the time before we ever met. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, is that how you remember it, David? What's your yeah. What's your story? Yeah, there? that's right. Uh, I had my own medium, and so I, I would, that's where I was writing all my articles and publishing all my articles. And then I had that that other podcast uh, that was called 
POV crypto, point of view crypto. And so I had never really meaningfully considered about like branding and business. Like, yes, POV crypto was a sex joke, even though it was about like two. Was it? Yeah. I'm just learning this. What the hell? It it was like, it's like point of view crypto, point of view Ethereum, and also Bitcoin, but also haha sex. Uh, Like, (laughs) I never, never really like put on the like, hey, let's be professional and turn this into a business and scale this out and like lean into a brand. I was like writing on my medium just because I wanted people to read my stuff. And I, I, cause I didn't go to business school. I did not have that part of me to actually be able to build a foundation that was like in that mindset, right? Like a self-sustaining, Hey, we can scale this out. We can do this better and more intentionally. Uh, and so I'm just like writing on my medium, producing my content. Uh, and then Ryan makes the bankless newsletter and he's like, uh, and I, I kind of like get it. It's like, Oh, distribution, <laughs> like consistency brand. Oh, uh, and I'm like, okay, what if I just take all of my writing and deposit it into the bankless newsletter, right? And and then it's like he, Ryan and I are saying the same words, anyways. And so it's not, and there's no like misalignment there. And not only that, but like the more I talk to him, the more precise both of our words become. Uh, and so like we're just sharpening each other's sticks. Uh, and so it goes from a little bit of just like, hey, can can we work together? And be like, oh, we're this is working out. Can we do a podcast together? Oh, this is working out. Uh, and so it was just like, I, Bankless for me has just been this like bastion of uh, creative expression that I think always just like gets me going yeah. uh, and like gives me like what a reason to like, hey, what's the next bit, bit of content I can produce? Like what's the next thesis I can spit um, out? Like, what's, your, what's your guy's vision now for Bankless? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I think- Probably what you've been talking about you guys, because now you've had some time together, but you know, where do you want to go with it? I think I think Bankless started in uh, in a way that you know Dave is talking with with is just an exploration, a discovery. Right. We, we've always called it kind of going Bankless is sort of the journey west, right? Where you you know you you, you you set sail and you go try to discover undiscovered lands, and I think that's why the podcast has been um, for both of us just energy producing because we're both learning as we go, and so. And you get to meet amazing people and have fantastic conversations. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then you're developing your thesis in kind of real time based on conversations with some of the smartest people. I, I do think that crypto, yes, crypto attracts the, the scammers and the grifters, and we have some of the worst of that. It also attracts some of the most brilliant, uh, humanitarian, uh, wonderful people that uh, I've ever met. And to have an opportunity... Uh, you know, being David and I, at least myself, on the left side of that bell curve, to have the opportunity to talk to some of these crypto geniuses, these kind of researchers, you know, best in their field is is absolutely incredible. And so uh, the cool thing about this now, using obviously media as a tool, is we can open source this entire journey and this entire pursuit. And it's, so it's an open sourcing of that of that journey to go bankless, and it's inviting a community to come along with us. And that's really what the newsletter uh, has been for us and and also what uh, the podcast has been for us. And so I think um, in the Bankless community, there's now about 300,000 members who kind of subscribe to the to the newsletter. And, um, you know, that 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 was growing. I remember in, uh, you know, 2019, no one was noticed. I I remember the first time um, I hit 10,000 on the newsletter Mm -hmm. and I was like, this is what could be better? I can't believe 10,000. That's everyone. <laughs> that's like, yeah, that that's it. Uh, and so, I mean, what is the, kind of the end state um, I- ambition here? I think the end state ambition is is similar to, you know, the ambition of crypto, which is private keys in everyone's hands. 
um, you know, every citizen on the planet ideally uh, has the ability and is going at, at some level, at some point in the spectrum on the bankless journey. So I think the end state for us is sort of how do we get a billion people into crypto and provide kind of the, the open source journey, um, the, the, you know, the tools, the, the media uh, to do that, and, you know, podcasts that they can turn to and, um, you know, j jump aboard. I, I think we, we still have some limiters, though, in crypto, like in terms of our, our, our scalability. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I don't know if you would how you would answer this question, but lately, David, I've been thinking about 2023 and kind of reflecting on it. And I feel like crypto has gone a bit more passive mm. in terms of um, it's a little bit different than the previous bear market, I would say. Like, you know, 2019, there were there were crypto natives using all of these tools. And uh, you know, 2023, I feel like we are we're, we're caught in this rut almost where right. all we can talk about is regulatory. All we talk about is, is Gary Gensler. We talk about price. We talk about the investing side. Um, there's tons to do in crypto. Don't get me wrong, but it almost feels like some of us have been content to sit a little passively and watch prices. And I'm just hungry for more on-chain stuff to happen. And I do feel like the community has to build the apps in order to get us to the next level so that we can, you know, continue the journey and get to 100 million, you know, 500 million, a billion people. We, we really have to earn that. And we're in this place where we haven't quite earned it in 2023. MetaMask has something new. Introducing MetaMask Portfolio. MetaMask Portfolio is the best way to view your crypto portfolio from a holistic level. See everything across all the chains all at once. In your portfolio, MetaMask will report the aggregate value of all the assets in your MetaMask wallets and even the other wallets you import too. But MetaMask Portfolio isn't just a passive portfolio viewer. It is is a place to do all of the money verbs that make DeFi so powerful. You can buy, swap, bridge, and stake your crypto assets. So not only is MetaMask the easiest place to see your wallets in aggregate, but it's also a powerful battle station for all of your DeFi moves. So go check out your MetaMask portfolio because it's waiting for you to open it up. Check it out at portfolio.metamask.io. You know Uniswap. It's the world's largest decentralized exchange with over $1.4 trillion in trading volume. You know this because we talk about it endlessly on Bankless. It's Uniswap, but Uniswap is becoming so much more. Uniswap Labs just released the Uniswap Mobile Wallet for iOS, the newest, easiest way to trade tokens on the go. With a Uniswap wallet, you can easily create or import a new wallet, buy crypto on any available exchange with your debit card with extremely low fiat on-ramp fees, and you can seamlessly swap on Mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. On the Uniswap mobile wallet, you can store and display your beautiful NFTs, and you can also explore Web3 with the in-app search features, market leaderboards, and price charts, or use Wallet Connect to connect to any Web3 application. So you can now go directly to DeFi with the Uniswap mobile wallet. Safe, simple custody from the most trusted team in DeFi. Download the Uniswap wallet today on iOS. There's a link in the show notes. Arbitrum One is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum One, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum One and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, 
and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. One of the things that I've noticed with you guys is your journey has gone from DeFi as like, here's the killer app to a broader understanding of Web3. Yeah. Which is the applications layer of a lot of this. How, what, what was your Web3 journey? Why did you suddenly start to see the bigger picture? I mean, you, you know, there's ownership of crypt, crypt, crypto dick butts in this now. <laughs> you know, David's sporting a, well, the, a Solana NFT. And, you know, this, you've clearly got something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've been down this route for a while, but I, there was a magic moment for me. I was at Ian Rogers' house in Paris, and I was having dinner, and next to me was like artists, musicians, technologists, finance people, just this eclectic group of brilliant, talented people. And I'm like, this does not happen in your lifetime. Yeah, right. It really doesn't. Something truly magic is happening here, and yes, we're in this bear market phase of it all, but there is total magic going on. And that just gave me in the, I don't know when that was, last December, it just gave me another shot in the arm to think, you know what, what comes out of this is going to be massive. What's your, how did you start thinking about Web3 more, well, not more than, but, you know, as another layer to what you guys do at Bankless? Yeah. Or think about yeah, well, I think one of the neat things about crypto is that it seems to present some sort of like singularity about many different topics and and like areas of focus, right? So we, we typically there's the contrast between DeFi and NFTs, right? Like either it's DeFi or it's NFTs. But the T in NFT is token and a token mm -hmm. is a financial instrument and that's DeFi. And, and then we have like the relationship between protocols and community. And this is where um, it's, I think just like everything kind of weaves together. So to understand deeply, whatever this thing is, DeFi, like NFTs, Ethereum, Web3, crypto, internet money and internet, what, what words do we even use to explain these, this thing in totality? I don't know. I but, kind of like the digital nation state. I mean, that's yeah. Sure. yeah. Agreed. But that's, uh, I would also say that's another way to approach the knowledge, right? There's, there's, and this is why I always say crypto has something for everyone. And there's 10,000 ways to find crypto and what that, what it, what you see in it. But to stop at DeFi is to only paint in like a certain corner of the picture. Maybe, maybe it's towards the center of the picture. Uh, maybe, but maybe that's up for interpretation. But I think a holistic understanding and, and why people really, uh, enjoy Bankless because we try and f go down every single rabbit hole that crypto presents us. And so we go down the DeFi rabbit hole. We go down the Web3 rabbit hole. We go down the NFT rabbit hole. And we also try and do our best to weave them all together to, tr to tell the grand story that is this movement that we're all like on together. And I think perhaps like one of the reasons why Bankless is what it is is because I think we've done a bang up job like weaving it all together. But it's still like there's still corners and dots and data to connect. And from a content perspective, it's very, very rich, right? Like why, why are we able to produce three episodes a week at minimum? like, oh, it's because there's so much data and data points out there to connect and so much knowledge to, to share and, and, and weave together. And so it, we started in DeFi just because like, like Ryan said, like, first off, no one in 2018 to 2020, no one believed in crypto. And then 
even inside of crypto, 90% of people didn't believe in Ethereum. And even inside of Ethereum, like half of Ethereum didn't even believe in DeFi. And so it was the conviction, it was the, the contrarian bet layered inside of a contrarian bet layered inside of a contrarian bet. And being right about that, like put, put many, many people on the map and, and bankless spe- uh, specifically. But then it just grows from there. It's like, okay, now that, now that we have this foundation of like, hey, DeFi is real, tokens are a thing, smart contracts are a thing. That just makes so many other downstream technologies also a thing, right? And that makes DAOs a thing. That makes NFTs a thing. That makes layer twos a thing. Uh, and so everything kind of spawned out from there. And after that, it's just been like trying to capture lightning in a bottle because like there's so many conversations to be had about where this thing goes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, it's it's sort of a, a few mental models that really clicked to kind of understand this and understand NFTs. And, you know, one of the mental models is uh, the digital nation state, as you said, and, and a cornerstone of any nation state, digital nation. Uh, or sorry, any any kind of physical manifestation of a nation is this idea of uh, rule of law and property rights. And what we have created, kind of the mental model to unlock with with something like Ethereum or even a Bitcoin, is uh, we have created a internet-based digital property rights system. And so that can be any type of property. That can be fungible property, like like tokens. Either you know, could be stocks and bonds or currencies in kind of the you know the nation state world. Uh, those are all forms of property of the of the nation state, and we can have that and register those as assets on something like Ethereum, or it could be uh, non fungible uh, elements of property. And we see that, of course, in the physical world too. You know, that your house, your 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 apartment, a, a collectible that you purchase. Th- these are also um, forms of property that are kind of registered uh, via the nation state, the, you know, through rule of law, and so it's all the same side of the the coin. But you were mentioning that. Um, that, that meal you had where you, where you saw kind of like artists and you know finance people and everyone kind of collectively together. Another mental model unlock for me was uh, we did an episode with a historian. His name is um, Josh Rosenthal. And it's probably the my favorite episode that Bankless has ever produced just because it was so pivotal to like mm-hmm. my crypto journey. Yeah. And he basically went through the Renaissance and um, he talked, he, he compared uh, where we have been to sort of the, the feudal system where, you know, th- there was no democra- democratization of, of property. It was sort of, you know, few, our, our feudal lords uh, kind of, um, you know, we, we worked on their land and, and toiled for them. And that's sort of the, kind of the, the present day Internet. And then we unlocked a couple of things that led to the rena- Renaissance. And these were technologies. We unlocked the printing press, Gutenberg's printing press. And so this enabled mass distrib- uh, distribution of c- communication. It was a communication technology. And then we also unlocked, uh, you know, Medici and others, uh, double entry bookkeeping, right? And so you, you have a communication technology and you have a ledger technology. And what do you get? You get the Renaissance, this splash of, of human creativity and science and progress. And man, um, the roots of everything that humanity has achieved up to now, a lot of that was, was rooted in the Renaissance. And so now what do we have? Well, we have a communication technology that democratizes communication. That's called the internet, TCP IP. That's the protocol for it, okay? That's like the, the, the printing press. And we have a new um, triple entry bookkeeping system, a general ledger that is crypto, all right? So we've got these two uh, technologies. And I think why you're starting to see what you're seeing, Raul, is, is we are starting, we're seeing the early phases of unlocking 
a new renaissance, almost yeah, like I've a crypto renaissance. I've been writing about this myself, this whole exponential age thesis. Yes. Just builds on that. It's where AI fits in, robotics, the Internet of Things, genetic sciences. All of this is building on an entirely new system that has the opportunity to be a renaissance that we can be optimistic about and not fear. People fear change, right? It's a natural human thing. But if you embrace it and go with it, that's the rewarding journey. 100%. And, and I, I think that that is the opportunity for everyone, I would say, listening to this, consuming Real Vision content, consuming bankless content. We are at a very unique place in history, right? Where we've just had the, we've, we are just, I, I think there's a tendency, particularly among uh, younger generations, to be almost nihilistic about their, their place in time and history, Right, and you could certainly go down that path. And there have been you know, points in my life where I've gone We've all down, been that, down that path. We've all been down that path. Look at the flip side of this, like the the the, the massive exponential opportunity that is available to you. The, like the, the tools that we have at our disposal right now in this period of of, of uh, change, that the old institutions aren't going to take us to the next stage in, in human progress. And so we have an opportunity. This is sort of what we were talking about yesterday, Raul, with the, with the fourth turning. We have the opportunity to set up a new you know, uh, set of institutions that will help humanity coordinate better. And uh, that's kind of the 21st century uh, technology. And what a, what a gift to be born and to be alive at such a time and a place. Yeah. That's yeah. the flip side. That I mean, to me, uh, I know David has talked about this with his own uh, sort of journey, but to me, that is the the nihilism killer is when you see the the pie expanding opportunity. That that's going to get me into another thing. Is I really worry about this, the abundance mindset that many of us have, and then there's the tribalism. Yeah, and it is. I mean, I left the Bitcoin ecosystem. Yes, because ETH was outperforming. You know, as a as an investment guy but because I fucking hated the <laughs> ecosystem, right? You weren't treated well. If you want to join a digital nation state and they don't treat you well as citizens, you want to leave. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to see that, but the, tr the tribalism is still immense in the space. Mm. And something has to change there if we're trying to onboard a billion people. It can't be a group of people throwing poo at each other. Let me ask you, do you think, because um, there have been those that argued that the tribalism is actually a feature, not a bug? Yeah, I get, I get that, but you don't have to be nasty about it. You yeah. can protect your own and be somebody who wants their ecosystem to succeed, mm. even above others. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be a pie mentality. It can be an abundance mentality. If, if we all do this together, we all succeed. Mm. I just don't get it. My interpretation on this, we, we use this line um, at Bankless a lot. It's like we're speed running the history of money and finance. And so like the compression of time in crypto, if you want to extrapolate it out and layer it on actual human history, like Bitcoin invented in 2009, that's like us discovering gold on the internet. It's, it's like Bitcoin's great. It is primitive. And so it makes sense that Bitcoin looks and feels. And if you like, which I do, accept Nick Carter's interpretation of this, it is a religion. It is not like a religion. It is a religion. <laughs> it acts like a religion. It quacks like a religion. They have religious purity tests. 
And so like the, the and so th- it, that is where, you know, crypto is in the landscape of time. Like Bitcoin is the, the earliest discovery of Bitcoin. And so it's like you have your high priest of Bitcoin. You have the word of Bitcoin, the word of Satoshi, interpretations of the word of Satoshi. Uh, and so th- this is where crypto was when we discovered it in 20, 2009, where Bitcoin is. And then we move forward in time and space and, you know, very rapidly. And then we also move forward in technological progress of the of of crypto, and then all of a sudden we have something more advanced that f- looks and feels more resident with modern technology and modern values and modern society, which in my mind is is Ethereum. Do, do you think though that like the the religious aspect of it like is a product of stagnation more than anything else? Um, I think it's a product of valuation. Mm. Because valuation in the space is Metcalfe's law. So it's about trying to get the most activity on your chain. I guess stagnation Mm -hmm. plays into that. When the market is stagnant, there's no new capital coming in. So you're fighting for your share of the capital. You can see it in NFT space as well, right? It's got the exact exact same thing is going on because there's a scarcity of capital. So people become more fanatic about attracting that capital. And they coalesce, tell the tell themselves different stories to try and attract capital via narrative. Once the space starts growing again, it does drop a bit, mm-hmm. but it's, it's particularly bad in bear markets. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, there's, there's always the, hey, let's grow the pie uh, conversation versus just splitting up the pie. And that's, that's why I like to talk about Ethereum's roll-up centric roadmap in, in the conversation of that pie. Whereas layer twos on Ethereum, Optimism competes with Arbitrum, competes with Polygon, competes with ZK Sync. Yet, when an application deploys on any one of those things, it's very easy to transfer and spread that value around to the other layer twos. And so the layer twos of Ethereum exist in this harmonious equilibrium between competition and collaboration. And so it's, hey, we can grow the pie, but we're all trying to take our larger slice, but we're still going to grow the pie. And I don't think other communities have that. Like that, that balance between that design philosophy, like Solana and the monolithic architecture, it is just like Solana, the layer one, they need to capture a larger share of the pie. That is their wind condition. Same thing with Bitcoin is like they don't have this, this harmonious balance tug of war between competition and collaboration that the Ethereum layer twos have. Like Bitcoin, it, it, in, the wind condition for Bitcoin is that it eats the entire damn pie. And that's the same thing for almost every layer one. Like I think, I think Ryan agrees with me that like, Layer ones are maximalists of themselves. Like they want to dominate. And so how do you as a layer one win? In my mind, you win by having a harmonious balance between collaboration and competition. And that's why I see layer twos. And so like the reason why we are so tribal is that I think layer ones themselves, if you apply agency to layer ones, they know that they need to dominate. They need to be the biggest layer one. Like this is a competition of empires uh, and layer ones are you know warring with each other. And so the, the, I, I do understand why we're all so tribal. It gets worse in bear markets. But I, I think the layer one competition kind of induces that. I think that's right. I mean, I'm um, working with Kevin Kelly from Delphi um, to try and put together a research piece on analyzing ETH as a digital network state, comparing it to traditional economies using similar metrics. So it's kind of mm-hmm. dropping all the crypto specific stuff looking at that and then looking at these other economies. And look, the story of economies is also the story of competition. Mm-hmm. And it depends how you, how you compete and how you work together. You know, that's the interoperability layer. 
that can drive some of this nation, uh, this too. You know, Holland is a small country. Holland benefits massively from being in the middle of Europe, having a same currency and, and borderless. Okay, so there's a lot that's going to apply. There's, we've got a bit more work to do in it. But I think I, I want to try and reframe the conversation um, in the market about understanding for the next phase forwards. Because I think people who are coming into the space, particularly in the institutional investment space, need a framework to understand that these are emerging markets. We've got emerging I, market I, credit I, systems. Yeah. We've got emerging market. We've got business layers being built on top, infrastructure layers being built. It's, it really is an economy. People it's just don't you, see it yet. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That is the best uh, mental model, I think, for these uh, crypto networks is as nation states, is as uh, emerging economies. And that's essentially what you're sort of investing in. And I do think that's why we see some of the, the tribalism, too. It was a Supreme Court justice, I, I believe. I can't think of um, you know uh, the person's name right now, but called um, you know, America's 50 states, 50 experiments in freedom. And I, I see at, at their best, that's what we're doing with all of these layer one experiments, right? Um, and, and even the layer two experiments, right? Because you see now um, in 2023, there's a lot of tribalism between different layer, layer uh, two ecosystems, even in Ethereum, right? And some of that is good, though. I think it's great. If you, if you can just ignore, delete crypto Twitter for a few months, right? Uh, or for a year, or just ignore all of the noise and the, like, the yammering, the claim back and forth, ignore all of that and actually see the outcome is we're, the alternative layer one ecosystems are making Ethereum better and Ethereum is making them better. Okay, the layer two competition, this experimentation at kind of the state level inside of the the federal nation state of Ethereum, they're all improving each other, right? They're all make, like it is actual uh, evolutionary progress, survival of the fittest experiment. So we get to let all of the experiments play out. So while I think um, tribalism is kind of negative and toxic, and when when you're in the moment, um, you know, like it is all of these things. You know, I agree. Actually, I, I still kind of argue, would argue that it's more of a feature than it is a bug. Yes, we don't have to be toxic. Yes, we don't have to be na- it's fine nasty. It's to be nationalistic, but don't try and invade other country. You know, it's like, I agree. it's fine to be I agree. a nationalist. I agree. It's not fine to invade it's, somebody else based let's on your own compete. Principles. Let's compete in kind of, you know, uh, the right way. And let's have a healthy competition as right. between sports teams or as between... Right you know, healthy nation states that aren't going to war. That kind of competition, I think, is healthy. Once you kind of declare a, a jihad against another, you know, crypto community, then, then it right. starts to get into unhealthy territory, uh, certainly. But the net is, we get to let all of these experiments play out. And uh, that's a great thing for the progress of this space. And, and that, by the way, is why I think crypto is absolutely unbeatable. <laughs> like, we're going to win. Like, this level of experimentation is not happening anywhere else. It's not happening at the nation state le- level. At this All the speed na- and this scale? No. Right? Nothing is like it. It's mm-hmm. not even close. So this is why it's, at some points you have to kind of step back and ask again that question, like, am, am I crazy, right? It's, like, it's a valid question to ask. And I keep going back to like, with all of the experimentation, the rapid pace and the acceleration of all of these things, it's all open source. We're trying all of these things all at once. Um, it's almost feels that this could be this could sound hubristic to say, but it feels inevitable is my conclusion on crypto. Like it is going to be absolutely massive. This is absolutely going to be the um, property rights layer of the Internet. The Internet 
a communication network completely needs a property rights system, and that's it. That's crypto. And so if you can kind of zoom out, when in doubt, zoom out, zoom out above what's happening in 2023 and the tribal crypto battles and kind of see the big picture here. And like, look at, I mean, you, you've been here since 2012, uh, Raul. So look at the progress. Look at how far we've come. Over a trillion dollars. It, like, this is, although, it's although happening. It's weird because my hypothesis when I first saw Bitcoin and blockchain was like, oh, well, here's the future of the financial system. We need to put all financial assets on chain to start with so we know who owns what. Here we are 11 years later. We're not even close. It's true. <laughs> well, other it's... things I didn't imagine happened, which was smart contracts and <laughs> NFTs. And it's, you know, we don't know how it works, but, it, you know, it's kind of just finds its way like mercury. It's, yeah. But it's very much like, I mean, we've, we've seen this before, haven't we? Even with, in, in all of our lifetimes, that's how the internet emerged. You remember the internet of the 1990s? People predicted all sorts of use cases that really, you know, didn't happen. And it evolved in unexpected ways. I mean, no one predicted kind of the, the rise of social networking. And because like it's Facebook. evolutionary, I think to your point, there's an evolutionary element that's organic about it. Yes. Which makes it less predictable. I think there's two halves of this conversation. We have the technology of the pre-existing world pre-crypto. And when we see and, and then, then invent crypto, we can be like, oh, we can improve our old technologies by applying these new crypto things. And that's totally true. But the problem is you're fighting against a, like a ma massive ship that, is, that you have to turn, right? You have incumbents that you have to fight. You have regulations that you have to fight. You have uh, uh, like old companies that are doing things in old ways that you have to convince to pivot. And so, yeah, well, eventually the whole world will be built on crypto. But in the meantime, while the whole world adapts to this new crypto paradigm, we have these new digitally native use cases that have no incumbents to fight against, like brand new startups that can capture that real estate. This is something I learned when I was at that tokenized real estate startup. It's like, oh, tokenizing real estate is trying to get the old world to adapt to a new, mm -hmm. a, a new system and you have to get new regulations. And like, man, like houses already exist <laughs> uh, and, and regulations already exist. What's going to happen faster and what ultimately did happen JPEGs. faster is JPEGs, right? <laughs> like Uniswap, like digital Aave, things, digital, Go digital figure. things. Like for, there's a fertile landscape out there and it's going to be way, it's going to be a hundred times easier to build digitally native things that have zero competition yep. versus like trying to get the old because, world onto crypto. Because also you're then doing show, not tell. Mm -hmm. So you're showing people, okay, here is the efficiencies of using this new system and eventually the old system migrates, as right. opposed to telling them they need to go on right. chain and then fighting tooth and nail for decades with you. It right. Plus, if we bring the old world on chain, they're going to be like, but we need this. And we're going to like, but you don't need that. Uh, and it's they're going to bastardize like the nature of these crypto platforms. Yeah, they're not going to use the tools yeah. as well so, as crypto natives. I just want to switch a bit. The, one of the things I want to see your thoughts on or how it's impacted you is, look, you guys are public, like me like a bunch of us who were trying to help as many people as possible understand the narratives and then suddenly hate comes oh. <laughs> right you i mean i spoke to scott melker about this as well you know, yeah we've all been down how did that affect you because you you know you go from you, you, your mission doesn't change you do the best you can mm -hmm. and suddenly the narrative about you changes as people get angry right. or lose money or upset Talk me through how it affected you guys, because it can't not affect you. There you go. No, you go. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not the thing that I expected. Um, like, 
I'm a content producer. Like one, one thing that we, we made uh, a decision very early in Bankless is that like we are investors. We're investing in this. Like we built Bankless from the early days on a thesis around Ether and DeFi. And we invested in those things and then wrote theses about why we're investing in those things. And that, and in the start of Bankless for the first like two years, I was like, great. I was like, everyone loved that. Now there's not as much uh, acceptance of like Ryan and David as investors in this space while also being content producers. Like we have to like, I feel like we have to fight for that a little bit more. It's like, hey, we also want to be investors in this crypto thing is why we're here in the first place. I don't think people as readily accept the relationship as like Ryan and David as crypto investors that are also con content producers in a way that they once did. Um, like the, o the OGs understand it because they've seen our track record through and through and through. The newer, the newer comers into the crypto space are like, oh, Ryan and David are, they're biased. They have investments, which I mean, it's totally true, but like it didn't, it never used to be so critical or toxic or like mean before. And so that's something that I'm like trying to figure out how to navigate. We've been... Does it affect you at a personal level? Yeah, sure. It does. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, where, where it affects because we've been um, we've been attacked at, you know, uh, multiple stages of this. Journey. You mentioned the tribalism from, from multiple like places, too. Yeah. So, I mean, there were there are a few notable like, attacks. You know, one was uh, uh, Danny, uh, Danny Sesta, Sesta and uh, kind of a we call them frog army attacks because it's often kind of like but either it's bots or it's people, human beings behaving as bots, or all both, or saying all the it, same yeah. thing, not responding to, you know, rational thought. And of course, Raul, like the, the social media algos reward this as well. So that, that, um, doesn't cause the problem, but certainly amplifies the feeling of it. And, um, at, and so we, we had a frog army attack, uh, uh Danny Sesta and that entire ecosystem, uh, the kind of the ways of the magic ecosystem wonderland. Yeah. Um, magic, yeah. Yeah. And so that, that seemed to us to be, um, uh, you know, scammer laden, fraud laden. And, you know, we said as much, we didn't talk about that content, got attacked for that. Um, we got attacked because we weren't hosting Danny Sesta on the show. Yeah. I've been through that as well. Yeah. We got, got attacked uh, at one point in time by, um, the, the Terra Luna, uh, community. Mm -hmm. And I think we actually, um, presented a very fair uh, take on Terra Luna, which is basically, is this a time ticking time bomb? Let's do the, the bear case and the bull case for right. this. Um, and even even posing the question, even asking right. that at that point in time in the market uh, subjected us to a massive amount of uh, mm -hmm. attack. Um, I by mean, the way, at one month after we got attacked by Danny Sesta's frogs, like a month later, it was exposed that Zero X Sifu was the old, old Quadringa X like uh, co-founder. And so then that whole ecosystem like crumbled. And then one month later, after we had the uh, Is no, Terra Ticking Time Bomb episode, I, like Terra blew up. I've learned, I try and step back from the anger yes. and think about the motivation. But now the market's a little bit different. Yes. I think 2023 is different. Mm -hmm. But what I, my feeling on 2023 is um, the crypto community is in a mood. Yeah. And, they're, and they're in a mood that's been caused by, on the back of 2022, which is a whole bunch of public figures that, that they uh, trusted that segments of the community trusted <laughs> Alex Mashinsky, SBF, uh, Suzu, three hours capital, mm -hmm. even, you know, like the G GBTC, that coal right. kind of, uh, empire, even putting money in Gemini, right? right? Like uh, all of these things betraying trust. And so we are now white blood selling, uh, attacking everything. 
And, and the reality is the time to uh, launch these attacks and for the white blood cells to come like uh, you know, attack kind of the, the, you know, the, the invaders and the, the bacteria and the viruses was actually 2021 and 2022. Yeah. Right now in 2023, the, predominantly there's a bunch of good faith actors that are still here that are still building during the bear market. There's always, you know, kind of the you know, oddball pe- people that are not uh, doing that. But and and yet the the it's an it's an autoimmune disorder because still the immune system is kind of now attacking some of the good faith actors, and and that's what I see. But honestly, Raul, it does get me down, particularly when uh, the attacks are coming from the in tribe kind of group, right? And they're coming from inside the house and you're like, wow, you know, but it's, it just goes with the territory. And yeah. I think, um, getting off of social media for a period of time and, and zoom, zo- zooming out and looking at this, you know, has been helpful for me personally. I mean, I've had the other line of attack, which is interesting from the old school. They're like, you're a macro guy. Why are you doing crypto? I'm like, I've been doing crypto longer than most people. And it's all part of macro. And then it's like the market goes down and it's like you're a scammer, you've ruined people's right. lives. I'm like, yeah. no, I've always explained my thesis, how long-term, it, you know, it's people just want to find reasons to try and unsettle you for various reasons. And usually it's their own insecurity that's driving it. Yeah. So the reason the Terra Luna community was so angry with you guys is because they were feeling insecure, right? right. Generally, it's a lack of a lack of security or the feeling mm-hmm. of security that creates that behavior. That's why I try and step back to do and try and think, why, why are they being like that? Yeah. I mean, I never do that. It's just not part of my personality. Um, but I, I guess I'm less insecure about certain things. Yeah, I'd I probably think... do it with my wife if she threatens me about something <laughs> that she knows is that, that particular point that's going to upset Your me. Your NFT right? collection. <laughs> yeah, she does, exactly, does NFT get it. collection. There we go. Yeah, I, I do think the insecurity angle is, is the right one. That's also like the, the laser-eyed Bitcoin maxis, the ones that are really loud and tribal, they get insecure because there's like things about Bitcoin that are worth like talking about and they just want to brush that, brush that under the rug. And like you get that about every single loud, loud people, loud tribes on crypto. I've just learned like those are loud and insecure are like almost the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So... Finishing off, you guys have started another chapter as well, which is the VC fund. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that, because that's super interesting. Yeah, so uh, over the course of, I, I would say, the last three years, um, as David mentioned, we've always been crypto investors on the journey. And so we've obviously um, you know, uh, backed that up with investments in uh, some of the, the, the publicly traded uh, tokens, let's call them, in, the, in kind of the open markets. We've also been angel investing over this time too. And so unfortunately, because of accredited investor laws and all sorts of other reasons, there are projects that um, don't have anything that that retail can kind of invest into. And so that they're kind of in the pre-token, pre-public type phase. And so for the last three years or so, I think David and I have been involved in 70 or something different uh, uh, investments. Again, this is crypto infrastructure building the future. And so what uh, we decided to do is essentially parlay all of this into uh, a more of a structured VC fund. Um, it was becoming unwieldy to manage. Uh, David and myself, and you have spreadsheets of kind of your investments and tracking all of this. So we decided to formalize this and spin this up into bankless ventures is what we're calling it. And so we brought on a partner um, who's absolutely fantastic. His name is Ben Lakoff, and he has helped uh, organize all of the activity. We've recruited a team. And so um, we are staying on kind of the frontier of 
what crypto is building and some of these early stage seed level crypto projects. And that allows us to do that. So I think we've already um, uh, invested in or getting ready to invest in four to five different things. And um, you know, we just finished a $30 million fundraise, um, which was difficult ish uh to do in in this yeah, not great timing although it's brilliant timing to launch a vc right. but as ever it's the hardest time to launch to raise to bloody raise capital right. in the middle right. of that yes uh so it's just complementary with everything we've we've been doing as investors in the crypto journey trying to build um tools to help people go bankless it is a crypto fund um uh, vc f- uh, fund so it's got a 10-year time horizon so Again, you know, one of the ethics that we've always observed uh, at Bankless is long-term games with long-term people. So this isn't a type of a fund that um, receives tokens and then dumps them on, on the community. We have very long-term time horizon. Uh, so it's just complementary with, with everything that uh, we've been doing in the space up to date and keeps us sharp from a, from a content and thesis perspective too, because we get to see what's happening in the very early stages. Yeah, the, the long-term goal of the ventures is to that like, like Ryan said, there's a lot of activities that we were already doing, right? We're already doing angel investing. This conversation about ventures really got started. We were talking about like, hey, we're doing a lot of angel investing. What if we just hired an analyst to help us just research these angel deals a little bit more? And then we're like, oh, we're, that's more than half of a VC firm that we already have. We've got the deal flow. We're writing the checks. If we hire an analyst, like we might as well just do this this thing outright. Um, and so the idea is like we we spin this thing up, we, we pass all of our deal flow in through ventures, we hire out a team to, to turn it into a professionalized, streamlined operation that is dotting I's and crossing T's in the ways that maybe Ryan and I weren't when we were doing this individually because we didn't have the time, but now we have the team to, to get that done. My long-term idea for, for what Ventures does is that actually, hopefully, informs the podcast about these frontiers that we are exploring. Mm -hmm. So the idea is like, well, the podcast and the newsletter and Bankless Media grows the network that Bankless Ventures can latch onto and get deal flow from just because that's our network, right? Monetizing the network. It's a 360 degree Mm -hmm. kind of flywheel that you can build from this. Yes. Uh, and then and then because of the information and education that we are able to scale through the research team adventures, like we are, be a, are able to be more informed on the podcast. Um, but I do want to draw a very clear line that the podcast and media entities are very much firewalled from uh, content from the venture firm. Like they're, just because you're a deal that goes for Bankless Ventures doesn't mean you just get to waltz onto the podcast. You have to earn it just like everyone else. So there's no there's no I'm like back and forth myself there. knowing that. This time in four or five years' time, in the bottom of the bear market, that's exactly the stick you'll be beating. Oh, I'm, we're already, yeah. I know. People are already doing it, and it hasn't even like been an issue. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I think one uh, defense against that, uh, and I don't know what, what you guys have done at Real Vision, but I'd be curious to kind of uh, compare notes. Is um, have the best disclosures in the business, and uh, so that means basically like wherever possible, we are um, fully transparent with our crypto holdings and our crypto wallets and what uh, BBC owns at any point in time. The great great news about this, lack of privacy on chain also means anyone can look at your address and see exactly what you're holding. Um, having a, a disclosures page that is uh, continuously updated um, so that people know exactly what David holds, exactly what I hold, exactly what members of our team uh, are, are holding at any given time. So we just say like, you know, <laughs> We're, we're, uh, we have a thesis. Um, of course, we're investors on the bankless journey. We're pursuing that thesis. Of course, we're going to, we're not, we're not journalists. Like we're, we're going to, uh, invest in things that we believe in, right? As should you, like, that's our encouragement is be an investor in the space. That's how to kind of maximize the opportunity. And so as long as we have some of the best disclosures in the business, I think that is the ultimate kind of shield 
and we can always direct people to there. It's all mm -hmm. fully transparent. You can, you can see it at any point in time. You know exactly what we're holding and then we disclaim them mm -hmm. uh, you know, as we go through the content. Yeah, well, I, I just tell people, as you know, I just tell it because I don't, I don't trade a lot. I don't do special situations. I'm not involved in stuff. So I just tell people, oh, this is my rough weighting and this is what I'm doing and this is what I own and that's it. I think it's pretty normal for people to be like skeptical at, at front. It's like, oh, the biggest podcast in this space is doing a VC uh, fund. Like what's going on with that? So like uh, the gut reaction, I think, is totally justifiable. But we're going to do the same thing that we did with Bankless, which is like nothing's going to change. We're going to we're going to be here. The podcast won't change and, and we'll, we'll, we will earn the legitimacy once again. And also, you will find a way over time, because I know you believe in it, to allow regular people to invest in this kind of opportunity. Yes, right? yes. That's, we, that's what we're working on at Real Vision as well. Um, even for the asset management firm, uh, which is separate to Real Vision, everything is all the same thing. And it's this democratization of finance. And that's what we're trying to get to. Guys, listen, it was fantastic to have you on. Really enjoyed the conversation. It was good to turn the tables and hear your stories, because I think... You know, your stories, because you have so much the other side of the camera, they're as important. You know, you, have, you play an important part in this ecosystem. And just to hear that, I think it's fabulous. So thank you. Look, thank you for sharing your time with us. Thanks, Ralph. Thanks, Ralph. It's been fun.